Hello everyone, welcome to the Chica Travel Podcast. My name is Lelo B and this is the third installment of my Joburg Film Festival Our Stories Are Gold podcast series that is proudly powered by the Multi-Choice Group. Now on this episode, I am chatting to one of my favorites, a trailblazer, one of the most exciting voices in the industry, Ritabile Ramapagela. Now I know you know who Ritabile is because she is no stranger to this podcast. She's an avid traveler, a film director, slash creative producer, slash everything genius. <laughs> and she will be taking part in the upcoming Joburg Film Festival, which is happening now in its fifth year, starting from the 31st of Jan up until the, the 5th of February. So in this discussion, Rita Bile will be sharing her unique perspectives on how travel influences her work as a writer and director and her experiences as a woman in the film industry. So buckle up, it's a fun, fun, fun one. Let's jump right in. Miss Rita Bile, hello and welcome back to the Chica Travel Podcast. Yeah, get a second round. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. You, you know, the last time we spoke was in 2019. Well, on this podcast, 2019, we had to talk about Coachella. We also talked about, you know, birthday celebrations. You also promised that I was going to travel with you to one of your trips. It's (laughs) how many years later? I'm still waiting for my invites. (laughs) COVID came around. I don't think we knew at the time, but 2020 changed our lives around. Um, And I actually ended up spending the last three birthdays in South Africa. Ironically, though, in game lodges, which I've never done. And, you know, I suppose it's interesting what we're going to be talking about today, because part of my experiences in game lodges kind of inspired the season three of How to Earn Christmas being set in a game lodge. What? Wow. Okay. That okay. Now you've kind of answered my my first question already. That is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Okay. So you are taking part in the Joburg Film Festival that's starting now on the thirty first. Are you looking forward to that? Are you excited? What are you What are you going to be doing at the festival? I'm very excited. I firstly think like to be able to be back outside as a general note as a country is very exciting, and then to celebrate the works of various filmmakers from around the country and different parts of Africa, et cetera, is something that gets me excited because it feels like the world is kind of returning back to normal. Um, and we're kind of going back to telling stories the way we know how. I will be on a panel, you know, discussing women in film, and that's taking place on the 5th of Feb. So I'm quite excited with that, with other female practitioners. Um, it's a, it's going to be a jam-packed festival. So uh, yeah, hope easy and I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I've been looking at the schedule and um, I really am looking forward to some of the, the films that they're going to be showing. It looks like it's going to be awesome. And I ish, I would love to listen to the, the panel discussion. I'm going to make all attempts to be there. I wanted to find out because I talk mostly about, well, this podcast is a travel podcast, but I'm also mm. super obsessed with television, you know, film and all of that. Do you see uh, that there's a relationship or do you believe that there's a relationship between travel and film making? Yeah, no, absolutely. Because if you think about it, essentially, wherever you set your film or television show, it becomes the backdrop and almost a character in it. So, you know, you look at various things like we did Seriously Single and it was set in Johannesburg and Johannesburg as a city is a character and we looked at different stats like for example there are more single females than there are men 
in Johannesburg. <laughs> so it's like slim pickings and it sets the perfect backdrop for some a film about being seriously single. And all off the back of that film releasing on Netflix, it, it actually boosted tourism found, um, the Department of Tourism of South Africa actually found that a lot more people came to South Africa after seeing that film because they said they want to experience Joburg like they did in the movie Seriously Single. And kind of like, Everything that we do in terms of the content we create, I like to think as the location as a character. And that's with er with everything, right? Like if you're going to set it in the Eastern Cape, there's certain textures that you want to a show. If you're going to set it in Durban, there's certain things. And How to and Christmas really took that on board. If you look at, you know, season one, we shot it like the four seasons. So that was a Johannesburg-based story. Season two, we were like, we're taking it to Durban. Season three, we went and we went to a game lodge. Because I do think like you have to play to kind of like the characteristics of where you are, because not every place in South Africa is the same. And, you know, as I mentioned, when we started, this is that I've spent the last two birthdays, maybe three birthdays at a game lodge. In fact, the one I spent my birthday at this year, well, last year was actually the one we ended up shooting during Christmas season three. So it's very heavily influenced by my kind of experiences as well and how I we view a place and it has to come to life in that way, whether you're showing the beaches of Durban or even going to Inanda. Like I've never been to Inanda in my life and it was beautiful. And I was like, I've never seen this part of KZN, but because I'm telling the story, it like opens up my mind and can open up the audience's mind. I remember with Seriously Single, people were tweeting, is that really like, is that Johannesburg? Is this South Africa, guys? And I remember I responded to a tweet and I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, no, I've just never seen our city like this. So that's weird and exciting, right? That people can see their hometown or their place differently um, through the eyes of a story. That is so amazing. And I mean, if I think about Seriously Single, it was it, it was such a vibe. Everything was such a vibe. You actually wanted to be wherever those characters went because everything looked like, yes. so it makes sense that, you know, people would be encouraged to then come visit Jobek. And I mean, even with How to Ruin Christmas, the one that was set in at the Four Seasons, even that, mm. like, I think how how you guys showed Jobek, it was just beautiful. And, and you were shooting that during lockdown where you could yes. do much, but <laughs> you still were able to see the essence of Jobek and it looked just beautiful. So well done. It's, it's almost incredible. You almost go, oh, is that really how this place looks? Because you get used to the normal traffic and, you know, mundane things and you don't actually realize the city is actually very beautiful. As a concrete jungle, it's very great. Yeah. So you partly answered my next question because I was going to ask you about the if there were any specific destinations or cultures that have had, you know, significant impact on your projects. And you mentioned that, I mean, you had gone to this game lodge. You just purely went on your birthday and then you just loved it so much. You're like, yo, actually, we want to come back here. How lucky are they? <laughs> They're very lucky, hey? <laughs> and it wasn't even... It wasn't even to advertise them or anything. It's just like the kind of lifestyle that a game lodge had. And it's so weird that we wrote the storyline before the whole stuff about our president owning a game lodge, <laughs> you know, Please. even happened. No. <laughs> I know. People think it happened afterwards. And I'm like, no, guys, we had already written it. And I think the universe is like, it's in the zeitgeist. So here you go. Um, and profits. <laughs> Clearly, because I was like, wow, how did that happen? Oh. But yeah, I, I, and I think, you know, in terms of that, even for me, like, I love to be able to move stories around. I don't like to tell stories in the same place. And I feel Johannesburg is great. And there's so many stories to tell here. But I feel like there's so many other stories 
from different places. And we're currently working on a couple of projects that, you know, will see us in like the free state. And there's one that will see us in the Eastern Cape. And and these are also places that I've never been. Like when I went to a location recce, I mean, I've been to the Eastern Cape when I was younger, but, you know, now to see it as a different way of like, how do we make this a backdrop of a story? I think it's, it's, it's a great way to show people that this country has a lot to offer and there's so many beautiful places. Oh my goodness, I I should be working for you guys because of all the <laughs> traveling that you're doing. I really, really love it. And I guess it also keeps things fresh and exciting. And even for the for the actors, um, I think it also, I well, I'm hoping it also inspires them to also travel. I mean, not even just the actors, but I guess the whole crew uh, to mm-hmm. get to see a lot more of our country as well through through the process. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was actually just I was actually just thinking of the the dream series would actually be like something like the White Lotus, where you could take it to different places. So you create the South African White Lotus. So maybe you start season one in Cape Town, and then you can go to like Kenya as the White Lotus in Kenya. You know what I mean? So I think that premise is actually really good because when you watch season two, I was like, I want to go to Italy, but I won't ask you about Italy. We've seen the pictures, the videos. <laughs> but I've actually been, I, I've been reading a lot about, well, I saw I saw an article just talking about um, the whole Italy thing with, with, with White Lotus. And I was like, okay, because I haven't watched it, but I've just been having it on my list of things to watch. But I saw the whole thing about, you know, now I want to go to Italy because of White Lotus and all of that. So uh-huh. the, the impact of film in influencing where we end up wanting to visit and, you know, the places that we end up wanting to go see is very, very high. Do you remember an instance of White area besides this one I guess uh, a film or tv show that you saw that made you want to actually visit a place I think if we really were honest like growing up I used to watch the the 90s sitcoms and a lot of it was like friends so New York became this like elusive place like oh my god like I want to go to New York and then we had sex in the city and they were in New York too so I think growing up New York was like bucket list like I was like I have to go there And I did eventually go there. It was actually the first international trip that I did. I went to New York and then I went, I ended up studying in New York. And I think that's all from television consumption and movies. And if you think of the rom-coms back in the day, they were like set in New York and set in, you know, in like, we have a very westernized way of looking at things back in the day. But I like that now we're venturing out, we're seeing different places. There's a series, um, I forgot its name, that it's on Netflix and it was set in India. And I was like, wow, this, I like, I have to go. And it does. I think they're bucket list things that you're just like, wait, I have to go here. But I must say, growing up, it was the Big Apple <laughs> that was the thing that I was chasing because of all these TV shows I was watching. But New York undercover, like, we want to be there. Well, I want. <laughs> It was like New York was forced on us. So I feel like at least I got it out of my system and realized actually there's more and better places that that to come out. Even that, um, I didn't like it, that Netflix one with uh, Zoe and uh, her husband dies. Yes. I hated it. I hated it. I was like, ah, guys, you guys are weaklings. But when I watched it, I'm like, this portrayal of Italy is fantastic, you know, and the small community. And I was like, wow, I want to go to Italy. So I think Italy is definitely, and then there was Lelo who was posting, and then there was the Lotus, the White Lotus. So I think it, we underestimate how much of an impact it has. 
but it's just like what you were saying about representation and film and representation matters. Like, um, I grew up watching a lot of white content and white people on screen. So to have the opportunity to on screen diversify that and have these complex female black leads and stuff is just like what the tourism, uh, like the travel aspect of setting your film or story in some way different or unexpected does. And I think we underestimate how big or how well characters can play. Yeah, yeah, that is so, so true. So just on the topic of representation, do you think um, that representation, like of, you know, the diverse cultures in film, it helps to build like a more empathetic and an understanding society? Or maybe actually that film has a responsibility to use its own platform to raise awareness about like social and political issues? I don't know if we have a responsibility. I think our responsibility is to entertain and to move people and to make people question. So it depends on what your story is actually about and what you're trying to say. But I do think we have a responsibility to give, like, have the opportunity to tell our stories. So whether your story is about a girl or Bloemfontein or whatever, like, I'm interested in seeing that because maybe I don't know what that perspective is like. I think what film does is give us perspective, gives us a sense into other people's lives. Um, I'll also reference the film Coda, which was the the deaf, I don't know, it won Best Picture, I think, last year. And it was about the protagonist was a hearing girl, but her rest of her family was deaf. Mm-hmm. And I'd never, ever considered a premise or concept like that in my life. But seeing that film, I was like, wow, like... You know, I live in a bubble. I'm I'm a fully able, fully hearing uh, individual. And to watch something like that made me tap into parts of myself that I didn't even realize. And 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 that little that made me cry. So watch that and not from scratch. <laughs> but watch that. Just... <laughs> <laughs> it just gave a different perspective on people, human beings. And I do think now that we're in the the realm of, you know, diversity and seeing um, more black people on screen, more black females even be up be- behind the camera. I feel like we've got to now up that game and have the differently abled people. And I feel like there's so many stories that we haven't even tapped into yet that still need to be told. It might not be our responsibility, but I do think people need to be given the opportunity to tell those stories. So when you create, you know, your, your stories, um, and, you know, I guess taking into consideration that they need to be repre- represented, representative, right? How do you ensure that they still authentic and relatable? Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm referring to the, to the characters. How do you ensure that your characters are authentic and relatable? I think it just comes from creating a real world that you know people can be excited about or exist in. So, for example, when we create a show like How to Earn Christmas, the whole premise of the show is also to celebrate black families and kind of family politics and what brings us together so we were like okay so if we look at a black family what are the characters we know and we're like the gay cousin every family has like a gay cousin and then it becomes and it's still kind of hard to find but to cast um also diversely so having you know um the lgbtq plus a community represented as well in south africa i mean we do try as hard as we can, but it, it does become difficult because interestingly enough, a lot of people don't want to play gay characters because of what their family might think. Mm. And I still think we've got a long way to go. But for, to answer your question, I think we just cast from a place of what we know. 
um, and try diversify things. I'm working on something else now where it's set in a bigger world where you do want to have someone in a wheelchair or someone that's differently abled, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I, we've once even told a story about a Greek family in the underworld of Bedford View. I think if you write what you know and there's honesty in it, you can represent different worlds very well. That is so, so true. Moving on to just female directors and writers, in what ways, um, I mean, I guess maybe your success shows that there is some support, you know, but uh, if you think about the, <laughs> <laughs> the film industry, in what ways do you think the industry can better support and promote the work of uh, female directors and writers? Well, I think it's just with funding and sort of organizations pushing for that. And that does happen. I, I, I mean, it's, it's happening slowly, but I know it does happen. Like I know the NFEF has a female slate and, you know, um, getting female directors, I suppose, skilled is probably where the lack is. Mm-hmm. I am very fortunate enough to have been working for so long doing what I've been doing that when Seriously Single came and I said, I'll direct this with my brother, I was able to do it because it was my own film. But I don't know if I had gone and applied at different production companies, if they would have had the same faith in me because I've never done a film before. So I think there is a big gap in the market with upskilling, with also just trusting talent sometimes. But I know there's always a lot at stake. So I'm not, I think, you know, black female writers, and I think we have a lot of writers, which is great, but directors have to be given the opportunities. So I don't know if we can have more slates that offer the opportunity to have directors direct, you know, in short films and basically upskill themselves to get them to a level where they can do feature films. Because I do think there is a lack in female black directors in general in this country. And what advice then would you give to those women out there, young women who are actually interested in in pursuing the, the career in film and, and actually directing? Well, I think, you know, as much as uh, people might frown upon telenovelas in this country, I think they're a great upskilling place and a place where you can start your groundwork and base for becoming a director, especially if you're new and upcoming. So I think if you can get a job where they're assisting or first interning, shadowing, and then ask to direct some scenes, you know, ask to do a scene here and there. And, you know, because a telenovela is long form, I think you learn a lot faster then you would if like, let's say I'm shooting seriously single, but the shoot's only like, what, three weeks? And then you're going to come for three weeks and it's so fast and we're under pressure that you're not going to learn as much as I think being on a telenovela or assisting there. And I know the opportunity is not always there to get on a telenovela. So perhaps you're also getting your short film out the way. And nowadays our cell phones shoot really well. (laughs) You can make really good content. You can just look at influencers and you can see all is possible. And I think that the NFEF and organizations like that continually try have female slates and those kind of things. So it's about always looking for what opportunities are out there. And even if at the moment they're not there, I feel like you have the power to sort of make things work um, with the resources you have around you. Because I think nowadays, if you just have a little bit of something to show what you're capable of, um, you can go far. Absolutely. And um who are the directors that you look up to or those who've inspired uh, the work that you do? The work that I do? You, what a question. Who has influenced the directors or writers or um, that have inspired you? Yeah, uh, So I have a different take on this kind of question because there's different ways that I look at things. So from an international perspective, I think, The way Shonda Rhimes came in and kind of changed the game is something I'll forever respect. 
from her and seeing her grow her company, even though I may not love her shows. I feel like what she's done for television and shown for a woman of color is amazing. And then locally, you know, interestingly enough, I'll look at someone like Maba Tumunsu, and I know she'll be surprised to hear this. And I'm just like, for someone who sticks to her guns, always follows a vision, that is something I look up to very, very much because it's very sometimes hard to have a voice in this industry. I'm lucky because I have two brothers that kind of can support me in whatever I do. But a lot of the times other females don't have that. So it's like, how do you stand out in the crowd? How do you stick to your guns? And even if people don't like you or will say stuff about you, like it doesn't matter. That's what you want to do. So someone like Mapa Tumunsu is like someone that I'm like, yeah, one day I'm going to be like you when I grow up. Um, so I'm hoping to see her get more opportunities. We are hopefully going to make a movie together soon. But uh, yeah, so locally, I think it's that Shonda Rhimes internationally. Um, I can give you the classics like Ava, but I think it's what they do for the culture. I don't know if it's the work that I'm like, oh my God, this is the best work ever. I'm still looking for that person. Oh, look, Issa Rae is out there uh, doing her thing. I'm just, as Issa Rae said, I support everybody black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're... Okay, uh, I, I was just thinking about Isa and her, her love for comedy and your love for comedy. I, I hear you fully on Mabatu. And uh, you know what? I just admire how she's just quietly doing her own thing, you know? Mm. And she's mm. out there killing it. That is awesome. So you talked a bit about, you know, how travel has influenced your work. But just um, overall, how, how would you think, you know, the travel industry and film industry can both collaborate and support, you know, each other's goals. I know Netflix at some point had a discussion with with SA Tourism, and there was a partnership there. Uh, but what what do you? How do you think those two these two industries can just collaborate better? Well, I think I think it's slowly actually happening in South Africa. I know, for example, in KZN, the Film Commission in KZN is very much promoting for people to come shoot their stories there. They offer some great things to help you find locations. They, you know, so I think there's even a like a rebate thing that you can apply for where they, you know, help to give you funds for your films. So I think slowly, and I know the Eastern Cape does the same, I think slowly but surely we're starting to get to a place where these provinces and regions are like, you know what, it actually works for the country for these films and TV shows to be shot in different places because, yes, then people go, ha, Hante, there's that beach there. Hante, there's a waterfall in there, that place. So I think that's even how the Netflix and SA tourism relationship went because between Seriously Single and even Blood and Water, um, what that did for tourism numbers was huge. So there's definitely a partnership to be ha- had. And I know from speaking to SA tourism, you know, and it's not just about promoting Durban, Cape Town and, and Johannesburg. It's actually about going to the Northwest. It's about going to Limpopo, Bumalanga. So hopefully we'll start seeing more and more stories come out of these regions for the benefit of our country and that's the crazy part right so we get to entertain people and then somehow give back to the places that we are telling the stories about wow all right let's see thank you so much those were all the questions i had maybe one final question if there's that woman who's has started you know in in the film industry and they feeling like yo ah uh-uh, this is not gonna work out for me i'm struggling it's like the world is against me what encouragement do you give to someone who feels like Ish, it's, it's it's hard it's never gonna stop being hard <laughs> i feel like that's the one thing you have to know so you have to question yourself to say how badly do you want this um 
and don't think that instant gratification will ever come. This is literally a marathon. Our company turned 15 this year and we still get rejected for things. We still do, you know, still don't get the shows we want to get. And I think it's just literally about being honest with yourself and saying it's not going to be easy, but how badly do you want it? How badly do you want to tell stories? What is your why? And if you remember your why, then in these moments of like, Aish, they rejected my proposal. Aish, I'm still a runner on this place. That will keep you going. Because I also started like that. I was also, I have been an extra on Isidingo, but I did that because I just wanted to see what a production looked like, you know? Like I literally have been in the industry for very long. And yes, I've been afforded a lot of opportunities, but I always pushed extra in those opportunities. I was always like, I will come staple the scripts for you. And, you know, there was a production company that when I was younger, I was like, listen, I'll just come staple scripts if that's, if I could just be around that kind of environment to see if I really like that, then that's worth it. So it's going to be hard. I don't know when it will even get easier for me, but like, just keep going and remember your why. All right. Thank you for that. And congrats on the 15 years. I think you guys are doing amazing, amazing work. Um, and it's so inspiring. You know, siblings, we can do it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people mustn't be afraid. They must get into business with their siblings. <laughs> So how to ruin Christmas Day at La Happy? Uh, I cannot deny or confirm, but uh, we're crossing our fingers. Let's see what's going to happen. Okay, so just call me when you go to Zanzibar. I'll stay pulled yeah. things there on <laughs> You know what you should get into, Lelo? You should become a lo- location scout. Then this will be your job to go look at places so that we can see if the story will work there. Hey, okay. there's a new career for you. Listen, and I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to research now. Research how to do this. But thank you so much. You have been awesome. All the best for all the productions that you guys are going to be cooking in your kitchen. And uh, yeah, we'll see you at the, at the film festival. This podcast series is proudly powered by Multi-Choice Group in partnership with the Joburg Film Festival. Our stories, our gold.